We're now in the third week of our series, Love War. And if you've been with us, week one, we talked about love and pride. And we saw that this church in Corinth is full of narcissistic and prideful believers that are separating to all these different factions. And then last week, we saw that one of the ways that that pride has affected their life is that they have begun to kind of adopt and even change the cultural sexual ethic of what is acceptable and good. And so here's what's happened. As we saw last week, they've said things like, you know, if you want to have sex with your father's wife, that's okay. That's your decision. Or if, uh, if you feel like going to brothels and sleeping with a prostitute, that's okay. That's your decision. Or if you want to take up a mistress or a concubine, which would have been somebody to have sex with, but you have no relationship with, it's like an ongoing tender hookup. If you want to do that, that's on you. That's good because here's the reality. Here's what they believed. They believed a section of the church that your body is just your body, that sex is just sex. It's mundane and you're just to use your body for pleasure. The only thing that really matters is that you care for your soul. So as long as you're caring for your soul, you're good. Take your body, use your body to enjoy pleasures in this life, however you would define them. And don't let anyone tell you that what you're doing is wrong. Sounds familiar, right? And then this week, we're going to see that it's, it's kind of swung to the other side. There's another group in the church that thinks completely different on this topic. They view sex as dirty and inferior for those that are really spiritually mature. So what's happening in the context of this church is that there's another group now that says, no, 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 no. We, don't, we don't agree with your view of sexual ethics. We actually think that we in our pride have the ability to rework and to rethink how relationships look. And so there was actually this kind of view among many in the church that if you were a virgin, you were treated as otherworldly. That kind of sounds familiar too. And you were viewed as having a higher spiritual status than the other people in the church. And so what happened was this idea began to kind of permeate throughout the community and people that were married or single began to think, well, I want to reach a higher spiritual state. I want to kind of ascend to this place that virgins are. And so what I need to do is I need to stop having sex. I need to refrain from sex so that I can become more spiritually mature and reach this next level. And so Not only were people that were single refraining from sex, which is a good thing, but people that were married were saying we're we're either no longer having sex in our marriage or we're going to absolve our marriage or we're just going to get divorced because we're going to care for our soul by refraining from sex to reach another higher spiritual state. And so Paul is writing to them, this other group of people, surely as he's writing this letter all throughout, you're going to see, he's probably just shaking his head left and right. Like, how did this happen in three years time? Like this church is really off the rails. And so this is where we pick up tonight. This is what's going on in the life of the church. And Paul writes this in verse one, he says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So this is something that they wrote. The church wrote to Paul in a letter is a slogan. They had, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. And so this is that group that's saying, no, 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 we disagree with the people that are doing whatever they want with their body. Our position is that it's not good to have sex. You need to refrain. You need to remove. You need to absolve your marriage, divorce, have an agreement, whatever you need to do. You need to reach a different position in life by refraining from sexual relations. And so here's what Paul says. He says that that statement that they believe is true, is true, but also false. 
It is true in the context of singleness, but it is false in the context of marriage. There's the message version of this next little section, I think, really explains what is being said well. You can see it on the screen behind me. Here's what he says in verse 2. Certainly, certainly it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but only in a certain context. So your statement is true, but it's also false. He says, it's good for a man to have a wife. And that word have is not just to be married or to be united with a wife, but it's, it's a word of intimacy. It's a sexual word, really. Not only is it good for a man to be married to a wife, but it's good for a man to have her, to have sex with her, to be in this intimate relationship with her. And it's also good, he says, for a woman to have a husband. See, he's affirming that marriage is beautiful. It's, an, it's instituted by God, and it is to be enjoyable. There is to be this oneness that's not just spiritual, and it's not just emotional, but it's also physical. He's affirming all the way back to Genesis 2, the very beginning of the Bible, where God says that it was not good for man to be alone, so he made someone suitable for him. And so he's helping them to understand that your, your statement is true in one sense, but it's also false in another sense in regards to marriage. And here's why he says marriage is good. He says, sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but maybe you've thought this before, right? Why in the world does a Bible command and say that it's good to wait to have sex before marriage. I don't understand that. It doesn't make sense. You can work through all the logic, Carter, but I just don't understand. Well, here's one of the reasons. Paul is saying that only in marriage, only in this covenant, this commitment between a man and a woman that is to death, that is for life, where you're literally standing and committing to faithfulness and to patience and to sacrifice and to selflessness, that only in that context can you really find true balance and fulfillment of your sexual desires? Because you're going to be in a relationship that is secure. It may not be perfect, but it's secure. So you can feel safe in that relationship to give of something that is sacred to you, that you can feel free to explore and to enjoy sex as it was intended in oneness. That you can, you'll begin to see the design of sex that it actually deepens and develops a relationship instead of often what sex becomes is something outside of marriage where you use it to mask dysfunction or to mask insecurity or you use it as some tactic to get your relationship from point A to point B because you want it to grow and to reach a more serious and committed and hopefully a married state one day. Saying here in marriage, you actually have the ability to have a balanced and fulfilled sexual life because we all have sexual desires and they're strong. And in marriage, you have freedom, you have safety, you have the ability to see your relationship developed and deepened. And what he's advocating for here is a healthy sex life. This is like he's getting really honest with the people. And he's saying, not only will you be fulfilled, not only will it provide a balanced sex life for you, but it will also protect you against sexual disorder in a world that is trying everything to fulfill sexual desires and is, a, is experimenting in all different ways, that in marriage you actually will have a buffer to protect you against falling into disorder. 
So what, what does that mean? How, how is that possible? And what does a healthy sex life look like? Well, Paul actually tells us. He's very blunt and very straightforward. He says this, the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. He's saying this is the beauty of sex within marriage is that you become one with somebody and not just physically one. Sex in any context may make you physically one with that person, but what happens in marriage and why it's been designed for that arena is that you not only become one physically, but you become one emotionally and you become one spiritually. You understand the depths and the complexity and the beauty of sex in that context. In some sense, what he's saying here is that you're no longer your own. See, when you get married, something happens. You lose, in some sense, your individuality. And you know this even by your language, right? I now becomes we. Me becomes us. You lose some of what it meant to be just an individual because now you are one with someone else. You are connected emotionally and physically and spiritually In some sense, this is weird, but this is what Paul says. So I'm just going to tell you. He says that your body becomes the other person's body. My body becomes the person's body that I'm married to because you're one now. And so you're not to withhold. You're to engage and look to satisfy and you're to provide for in that relationship oneness. You see, he's, he's kind of explaining here in the context of this church, as we said, Corinth is known as the Mecca of sexuality. He's saying that you understand that sexual desires are strong. There's an inexplainable need in all human beings to fulfill sexual desires. It is a powerful draw. You can't even really understand why, but you want to feel, you want to engage. Every single person feels this. And so what happens is when you begin to, it feels great. That's honest. It feels great and you want more of it. But really, if we're all honest and if we're just being completely straightforward, our sexual desires are often just completely selfish, right? We want to feel satisfied. We want to feel fulfilled. We want that momentary high as we quench all those things that are breeding in us, and he's saying the uniqueness in marriage and the beauty of marriage is that in it you see God's design, not only for a union between a man and a woman, but also his design of sex. That is not to be just about you. God never designed sex to be just about you. It's not just about procreation. It's not just about satisfying your sexual desires. Paul is saying that sex is about the other person. Notice his language. He says, a man should look to satisfy his wife and a wife should look to satisfy her husband. Sex is not about selfishness. Sex is about service. It is about serving another person. It is about engaging and caring for the sexual needs of another. It is not to be selfish, but we've turned it into that, right? Sex really is an act of service. And here's what Paul says. And so if you're married, you need to absorb this. He's saying that you should be constantly having sex. That's what he says. He says that you should be concerned with satisfying your spouse. You should want to know and to learn and to satisfy your spouse and her sexual desires or his sexual desires. 
He's saying that you should not treat it as dirty or inferior for you because you think you're spiritually mature and you have self-control and you don't really need it. It's to be constant in your marriage. And you should not abstain from it. It's interesting, right? He says you should not abstain from it except for a period of time. And he tells you why, right? He says the only reason that you should abstain from sex in your marriage is if for a period of time you both agree to it and if it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such a time, then you need to come back together again. So unless you agree as a couple that you're going to fast from sex for the purposes of praying together, you should not remove it from your relationship. It should be constant. It should be a mainstay. You should never deprive your spouse of sex for any reason. He's very straightforward here, right? He's very straightforward. And here's what's ironic about God's design is when you begin to understand this, when you begin to engage in this, you realize that, yes, you're thinking about serving the other. You're viewing sex as service. And then your spouse is viewing sex as service as well. And and they're thinking about your desires and it becomes exactly what it was meant to be, which is incredibly enjoyable. But not because you're just trying to satisfy your own desires, but because you're looking to satisfy someone else's. And here's why Paul says that this is to be a mainstay in your marriage and you're not to abstain from it unless you agree upon it for a period of time for prayer and fasting. Because Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. So he's saying this, he's saying if you're married and if you hold sex over your spouse as a benefit for good behavior or as a punishment for bad behavior, or because you don't really think you need it because you're very self-controlled or you're spiritually mature or you just don't really want to. It's not only wrong because you're not viewing sex as service, you're viewing it as something that is just for you and whether or not you want to, then you either give it or you withhold it, but you're also opening up your spouse to temptation. See, in the context of this church, what happened as we saw last week was that many people, not only those that were single, but those that were married were going to brothels. Men were going to brothels and they were sleeping with prostitutes. And part of the reason was because they were married and their wives said, we're not having sex anymore. It's done. It's over with. I'm spiritually mature. And so, you know, if you want to go to brothels, go to your thing, but you're not having sex with me. Now, I want to be very clear. It is not the wife's fault that the men were going to brothels. It is their responsibility. It is their sin. But what Paul is saying is do not unnecessarily open up your spouse to temptation because you have an unhealthy view of sex, that you think that it's just about you. If you want to, then you can. If you can use it as punishment or as a reward for good behavior. He's saying don't unnecessarily open up your spouse to temptation, whether that be going to a brothel or if it's pornography, or an acquaintance becomes a mistress, or it brings about all types of dysfunction in your relationship because you're not one. You're not one physically, and that affects being one emotionally and spiritually. See, Paul is is helping the married couples in the church first to understand what a healthy sex life looks like. That you are to view it as service. And it brings oneness and intimacy, emotional connection, spiritual connection. And you're to be concerned about the other person. And then he transitions in the passage and he says to the married couples and to those that are single, 
there's something that you need to come to understand. And it is going to be a struggle for you, whether you're married or whether you're single. And that is contentment. He says, you are to be content with the situation that God has you in. You are to lead the life that God has assigned to you. There's a a quote on the front of your worship program by G.K. Chesterton. And he says this. True contentment is the power of getting out of any situation all that there is in it. True contentment is getting out of any situation all that there is in it. You see, the the title for our series this week is, is It's Complicated. And Facebook made this popular, right, as a relationship status. You had, like, single, you had married, you had It's Complicated. And I always thought to myself, like, who puts that? And how awkward is that? When you're like, you, you get a Facebook notification and you're like, wait, why did they put, it's complicated. So you call them up, you're like, babe, hey, uh, just got a notification and you said it's complicated? What's going on? Like, what's the response there? The response is like, yeah, you know, it's not going well. And uh, I just wanted to let the market know that I may be available. And, but listen, don't worry. If it gets better, if you kind of improve, then I'll change it back. Like, how did that work? I don't understand why it was there, but it was there. And Urban Dictionary defines it. Here's what it means, if you're wondering. It's complicated. can mean four things. Fear of being single. Holding on to something that is about to end. Still hoping to work things out. Or in the denial stage of separation. So that's very interesting to me because it's complicated can be applicable regardless of whether you are married, dating, or single. It can be applicable to you because it could be fear of being single. It could be trying to hold on to a relationship that is not going anywhere. It could be in a denial stage of separation as things are kind of pulling apart. And I think if we were honest, if our go-to response to this question, which is, hey, how are you doing? Wasn't fine, good, right? It's how we always answer. Hey, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. It's like things are falling apart in my life, but I'm doing great, you know? That's what we say. It's a cultural answer. If we were actually honest, many of you would probably say, you know what, it's complicated. It is complicated. Regardless of whether you're single or you're married, that would be your honest assessment of your current situation in regards to a relationship that you're in or a relationship that you want, that it is complicated. And Paul is going to say to you that you're to be content. And you are to understand that actually your current relationship status is God's grace to you. As terrifying as that statement may be, it is true. Here's what he says in verse 7. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. See, every single one of us is susceptible to grass is greener syndrome, right? If you're single it could be difficult to believe that your current status, relationship status as being single is God's grace to you. You think to yourself, if I was just married, if I just found romance, then I would be happy and I would be fulfilled. And until I get there, there's no way that I can really be fully fulfilled. So how am I supposed to get all that I can out of my current status? Because I'm not okay with being single. It would be so much better if I was. And those of you that are married may feel the same way, right? You're like, marriage is not what I thought. It is way more difficult. It requires a lot more of me. And I'm, I really quickly realized that marriage does not equal contentment. That contentment takes work. 
As the philosophers Justin Bieber and Big Sean say, the grass isn't always greener on the other side. It's greener where you water it. That's good stuff. It's what Paul is saying, right? He's reminding you that if you're single, that's God's grace to you. That's God's gift to you, as he says in verse 7. If you're married, that's God's grace to you. It is a gift to you. And first up, he's going to talk to those of you that are single. He says in verse 8, To the unmarried, or the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single. You're like, that is the most controversial statement I've heard in a long time. It is good for me to remain single. Are you kidding? It is a gift of grace. Like, you're, you're thinking to yourself, okay, Paul, like super spiritual church planner guy who's single, like easy for you to say. You don't understand my situation. But see, you're assuming it was easy for Paul because Paul's a human being. Sometimes we treat the writers of scripture like they're not. He's a human being. He has sexual desires and he lives in a culture that has elevated marriage way above our culture. Marriage is not an option in his culture. It is an obligation. And yet he is single. And he says to those that are single, that it's God's grace to you. It's good for you to remain single. But what he doesn't say is important. He doesn't say that it's easy. He doesn't say that it should be very easy for you to remain single. But see, just because something is difficult doesn't mean that it can't be God's grace to you. Just because something is a struggle doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. Maybe some of you feel like Michael Scott when he's asked this question. What's it like being single? Here's how he responds. I like it. Starting each day with a sense of possibility and I'm optimistic. Because every day I get a little more desperate. And desperate situations yield the quickest results. Maybe you feel like that, right? You're like, like, single is a battle. It is struggle. It is hard. And you're feeling a sense of desperation. Or maybe you're single and you're like, you know, I don't know if I can get married. Like, I don't, I'm not really interested in that. It's going to take a very extraordinary person because I don't want to be limited. Plus, all my friends that are married, I've seen their relationships. I've seen what it's done to them. They seem confined. They seem disgruntled. It seems like they don't have the same pep in their step that they used to. And I don't really know if that's in my future. See, all of us have the tendency to place things on pedestals, right? We place sex on a pedestal. We put romance on a pedestal. We put marriage on a pedestal. And once we put something on a pedestal, it's all we can look at. And what we do is after we've placed it on the pedestal, we have all these assumptions about the thing that we're looking at. And so we put a backdrop behind it. And then we paint the backdrop according to our assumptions. So we put marriage, we put sex We put romance on a pedestal and then we paint behind it and we say, if I was just married or if I found romance or if I was having sex, then it would be like bunnies and rainbows and grass is green and like like a shooting star in the middle of the day. It would be amazing. Or you put sex or you put romance or you put marriage on a pedestal and it's like black. People are crying. Houses are burning. Everything's dark because you're like, I don't know if I want that. Regardless of how you paint the backdrop of what you put on a pedestal, it's an illusion. It's not reality. It's according to your assumptions, but it's not true. Things are not as black and white as you make them out to be. And, and Paul is instructing you in faith to realize 
that regardless of your situation, regardless of whether or not singleness is easy for you because you're concerned on whether or not you could ever get married or whether singleness is difficult for you and hard and you're sensing some desperation that you're to trust that God has given you your current relationship status as a gift. The word gift there is actually the word gift of grace, that God has graciously given you the place and the position that you are in now in your life. And don't worry, he doesn't forget about those that are married. He turns to those that are married now, and here's what he says to those married. If you're married, do not look for a way to separate from your spouse. Verses 10 through 16, he says, don't look for a way to divorce. Don't look for a way to separate. Even if you're married to somebody that is not a believer, if they're willing to live with you, you're to be a peacemaker, and so you're to stay with them. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, it does not matter whether or not your relationship is meeting all the expectations you had or whether or not it's up and down or whether or not you fight a lot or whether or not it is just really difficult. It doesn't matter. God is telling you to stay where you are because that's God's grace to you. That you're not to desire separation. You're not to desire divorce. You're not to desire what it would be like to be single. You're not to put up on a pedestal single life and then paint the backdrop as bunnies and rainbows and all these great things happening because that's an illusion. Saying you're to realize that your current situation is God's grace and you feel like those that heard the same thing that are single and you're like, Carter, you do not know my situation. You don't know how hard I've tried. You don't know that I've seen no improvement. And I'm telling you, it feels like the grass would be greener because the grass right here is just straight brown. And so I, I, I just don't know how I can think about the fact that I shouldn't be desiring something different because I, this is too hard. Or maybe you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I, yes, I don't desire a divorce. I don't, I'm not desiring separation. But sometimes I do wonder if I married the right person. Because this is not what I thought it would be. See, regardless of your thoughts, they're illusions. It's not reality. Because we have a lot of assumptions, right, with marriage. And we put that on the backdrop. We have assumptions like, you know, when I get married, my husband's always going to put the toilet seat down. And then you go to bed, you go in the middle of the night, and you go sit down, and you're mad, right? And you scream, and your husband thinks you're dying, Or you're like, you know what? When I get married, my husband's, my wife is going to love watching sports with me. She's going to love it. We have all these assumptions, right? And people have told you that marriage is difficult, but you think to yourself, no, marriage is just going to make permanent those romantic, heart-fluttering feelings that I had during our dating period. And it's just going to be wonderful. Yes, marriage is hard, but for us, it's going to be like drinking white wine on the beach, watching the sunset, cuddling in a blanket, waiting for a mutually agreed upon movie with two cartons of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. That's our marriage. I don't know about yours, but that's going to be ours. And then you get married and guess what happens? You realize like there are a lot of mechanics to marriage and there's an administrative component. There may still be romance. Hopefully there's romance. Maybe Ben and Jerry's, probably not a mutually agreed upon movie. And then you're like, wait, wait, I didn't realize that marriage has schedules and conflicting routines and conflicting interests and habits. And some of those habits could be frustrating and disappointments and broken expectations and lack of communication. 
And it's much more difficult than you thought. And so you have grass is greener syndrome in the same way. And you're trying to understand, did I marry the right person? Or is this right? What do I do? So you start thinking about what it would be like. And Paul is saying, don't do that. That's God's grace to you. The person that you married is the person you're supposed to be with and you're supposed to stay with them because God has given that person to you as grace. It is a gift, even if it's difficult. That yes, marriage is beautiful and it is full of passion and intimacy and love, but it is also comes with responsibility and sacrifice and patience and humility and it can sometimes be difficult and maddening and disappointing, but It's God's grace to you and you should not be desiring to be with someone else or to be living a different life. Look at verse 17 to to all of us. He says, only let each person, regardless of your relationship status, lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. He couldn't be more clear, right? He says, Lead the life the Lord has assigned to you. Your current relationship status, where you are this night, this day, this is where God has assigned for you to be. This is what he says he's called you to. So you're to find contentment in your current situation. In verse 27, he says, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Here's what he's saying. If you're single and you desire to be married one day, that's okay. But you're to live today with the understanding and perspective that this is God's grace to you, that you have been assigned and called at this moment to be single, and you're to seek to be content in that, trusting God. And if you're married and you want to see your relationship improve and grow, that's good. But don't for a second think that that's not who God wants you to be with, that that's God's grace to you that you're to find contentment in your relationship, in your marriage, even if it's hard, even if it's difficult. So the question is, how in the world do you do this? How do you find contentment in the situations that are difficult and hard? Paul says that it's perspective born of faith. Verse 29, he says, this is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The appointed time has grown very short. It's a really confusing section, but he's using eschatological language, language of the future, of the end times. He's saying that the future has invaded the present. So time has become very short because Jesus Christ has set in motion the events of salvation through his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Whereas before you were a person of faith, before you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, before you knew of the future, man, The future was cloudy and unknown. Maybe you just ignored it, or maybe it caused you a lot of anxiety because you didn't know what was to come. But now, time has been shortened because the gospel has changed everything for you, and it should change the way you live. He's saying the gospel, or the good news that you believe that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh who invaded our world, to rescue us, that he lived a life we couldn't live. He died a sacrificial death for you and for me to take our sin, our shame, our brokenness, our desperation. He took it on himself and paid it. And then he was buried, but three days later, he rose victorious from the grave, proving and declaring that he was who he said he was. He's God in the flesh, savior of the world, and he can be trusted that Jesus Christ, the gospel tells you that Jesus Christ fought for a relationship with you. He fought for it. And what happens is, when you know that, when you trust that, the future is no longer unknown. 
It is sure. It is set. You know that you are loved and you are forgiven and God is gracious to you, not one time, but he's gracious to you now, and that one day you will be with your creator. And so it is shortened the present. He's saying that your future certainty should affect your present reality. Because you know what is to come and it is certain, it affects how you live now. It affects how you live, the contentment that you can find, whether you're single or whether you're married. And he closes with this really confusing section where he says, from now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it, for the present form of this world is passing away. See, Paul is not saying, if you're married, ignore your spouse. Or if you're mourning and having a hard time in life, quit it, stop. Or if you're happy and rejoicing, just keep it to yourself. He's saying that before, when you did not understand the future, when you didn't understand your certainty because of Christ, you were defined by titles like single or married or rich or poor or mourning, or rejoicing. Those defined you, but you're no longer defined by those titles. You're not defined by your present circumstances. You're not defined by your relationship status and whether or not it's good or bad, whether or not it's positive or negative, because you have hope and trust in the future. You know who you're defined by. Your identity is in Christ. You're defined by him. You know what is awaiting you, so you don't have to be anxious about the present. You can trust that God has graciously given you the position that you are at and that he loves you and he's working good for you because you know what's ahead. And I want to close by reading what is ahead. Revelation 19, it's such a beautiful passage. You can read it on the screen with me. It says this, Then I heard what to seem a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb, the marriage of Jesus has come, and his bride, which is the church, his bride has made herself ready. So there is a union, there is a marriage awaiting between Jesus and his church, between Jesus and you of faith. And it was granted... If you have a Bible with you, you should underline that word. It was granted her. It was granted you to clothe yourself with fine linen, bright and pure. For fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. It was granted you something you didn't deserve, something you don't normally wear, which is bright and pure and clean linen. You were given righteousness. You were forgiven because of the blood of Christ. You are washed clean. That you, Your future certainty is with Jesus. And so you're not defined by your present circumstances. And he closes in verse 9 and says, And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. See, you may feel like this life is a war, man. Like, it's a war between love and insecurity. It's a war between love and broken expectations. It's a war between love and it's complicated. But what... Paul is saying is that when you know what is to come, when you trust what is to come through faith, 
You have perspective on your current situation. You realize you're not defined by whether you're single or whether you're married or whether your marriage is good or bad or whether singleness is easy or hard. You are actually defined by the fact that you are awaiting union with Jesus Christ. And that one thing is certain to prevail and that thing is that Christ loves you. And he cares for you and he is gracious to you. And so you can find contentment in whatever situation you're in, whether married or single. Let's pray.